Uh, we're just going to show a bit of a documentary. It's the third one in a series uh, that we've been produced. Um, we've been blessed that this actually series has been headhunted by the Gold Coast Film Festival. So I can only show you a portion of it today because um, they're premiering it there on the Gold Coast on the 20th of April. And we're very excited by that, that the Gold Coast Film Festival headhunted a Christian story to head up their documentary series. So we're touched because that's an opportunity and our team and our people that are in Africa to preach the gospel to people here in Australia. Uh, so like that. So when you're ready, we'll get going with that. We'll show 10 or so minutes and I'll get up quickly, share and yeah. Just a heads up, it's not graphic in picture, but it's graphic in story. This is covering the Boko Haram, okay? Early in the morning, around 8 o'clock in the morning, our villages were attacked. I was thinking it is the end of my life. I saw 300 people coming towards my house. So just had gunshots. So people started running for their dear lives. Bomba planted the bomb. The bomb exploded and destroyed all my two legs. I saw two people standing with AK-47. They disguised themselves. Some wear the uniform, the military uniform. Before you know it, they started shooting. Initially, they were killing the men. They were not killing women. But right now, they kill women. They kill children. They will kill a pregnant woman and bring her the fruitos and slice the fruitos like vegetables. They're kidnapping girls, killing men, and snatching children. Forced to flee their homes from an unnecessary war and a senseless campaign of violence, more than 40 million people across the world have become displaced, forgotten and traumatized in their own nation. Uh, Joss is the headquarters of Plateau State. About a million, or less, about a million. Though before the crisis, uh, it was far less. But with the crisis now, people are moving from the upper northern parts of the country running down to Joss. So Joss is heavily populated now by displaced people, of course. It was around 2.30. Then I heard my wife was just waking me up that, uh, Daddy, Daddy, wake up, wake up. These people have entered here. Then before I know anything, I just had some shots. Papa, papa, papa. AK-47, they were just shooting.
Even the police college is being barricaded. They've been attacked severally. So if the cops are afraid, what do you think about the populace? Somebody in Denmark wrote a cartoon to mock Mohammed. I don't know where Denmark is. And before we know it, I saw 300 people coming towards, almost 300 people coming towards my house. They say, okay, we are going to slaughter you. As they called from the back, the other guy told them that they should call from here too. So they, on the process, they put knife through the mouth and they tear it two times. You can see this castle. It was in the night of Tuesday, Romo was going on that the attackers are coming and she was scared. And before she could know it, she was shot and she was unconscious. One of them fired me with AK-47. The bullet passed through my nose here. This is the entering place and the exit place parked here. I fell down with my face. Blood is rushing. And the man followed me. He stepped on me two times to know whether I'm still alive. And he found that I'm dead because my head is already opened. The conflict in the northeastern Nigeria has left more than two million people displaced, pushing food insecurity and malnutrition to emergency levels. The northeast of our country has been afflicted by a crisis. Many of the children had their homes destroyed, some of their parents killed, so the majority of them have lost either one or both parents or a sibling. And then they have been chased from their ancestral homes. And it is in quest of a place for refuge that they fled to Plateau State. They have terrible stories. Some of them were abducted and they stayed in the camp of the Boko Haram for a month plus before they were rescued or before they escaped. The reason why he's here is because of Boko Haram. They entered their village and they kept killing people. They killed and slaughtered people right in front of them. So they had to run away and they went to another state. So where he is from is Borno State. Uh, there's a neighboring state called Adamawa State. Uh, they walked for long distances and they even um, spent um, about a month just traveling to a safer place and that was why um, he got here because he, uh, he, he was told that this place was safer. We were scared, even cried. We cried a lot. When we see them, they will talk to us in a harsh way. So we cry and at times we won't even eat anything because of them. There's food but we can't eat. We're not feeling even to drink. We can't do anything. We just stay like that, crying and praying. When they meet you in your house, they will kill you. When you, when they find even your mother or girls like we, they will arrest you. They have one forest, Samisa forest. They will take you there, and you will be their wife. You will suffer. On a very bad day, a child only needs to start crying and lamenting what happened to a father or a mother or a sibling and very soon the thing spreads like wildfire because every child remembers somebody they lost in the past. They killed his 
friends and uh, relatives' parents, so it affected him too. And um, he saw he saw the killings. come with an idea that it's about revenge or it's about justice, it's about the situation. But what really struck and what really challenged me was those that had suffered it or those that had been the recipient, their reaction wasn't a call for justice, it was an outpouring of love. They've been severely traumatised and each time they are shown love they respond wonderfully. They want to be loved. The greatest thing that we can be able to win the world is love. Going to the Muslim areas, going with clothes, choose relief materials, treatments and all. We've been working the last few years, we've shipped containers of medical education and other aid into Malawi, Zambia, Swaziland, Tanzania and recently into Nigeria as well. First time we came two years ago, we came, we met Dr. Ferdinand and his team working out of the Plateau State of Joss. Well, I'm uh, Reverend Dr. Ferdinand Oriazowan. I'm a medical missionary and we're on missions. I travel with my wife most times. I have a team of doctors, two doctors officially that travels with me, about three or four volunteers. We're getting our yeah, things prepared to start the work of the day. The folks are outside waiting for us to start, and uh, we have to set our test charts and all, make it ready, make it ready for the day's job. The majority of the people here have eye problems, leading from glaucoma, cataracts, and styles. The other cases that we can't handle here, we refer back to the hospital, though there's no eye hospital here, but then other minor ailments I handle here. Nigeria is a country. Um... You know, population is the largest and the most heavily populated uh, country in Africa. 
Uh, it was one of the first nations to gain independence. It's rich in oil, it's rich in agriculture. It's the, the fourth most affected nation due to terrorism in the world. In the midst of it, there's 160 million plus people. Sickness is everywhere and every average African needs to be treated. So we go out, we treat their eyes. The other general doctors handle the general body. The pediatrician handles the children. Look up, Baba. My dear. Open, open. We'll leave him for a while. He has just an anesthesia. In about 20 minutes' time, we'll be back. Baba, just here, eh? The guy had some foreign bodies in the eye. He's a farmer. And he's up for quite some time. That spike has been inside the eyes. So we have to remove the foreign body. I think he should be okay by now. The reward and the impact in people's lives is amazing. Like we just watched a, an old man have a spine that was in his eye for more than a year removed today. You know, last night there was a, a young girl that had a conjunctivitis for six years. You know, basic things that we take for granted that should be fixed with one, one trip to the chemist. You know, you've got a young girl living six years with conjunctivitis. And a man with a plant thorn in his eye for 12 months. You know, it's those impacts, it's those encounters with people that's going to change change this nation. It's not like they're covering up the insurgency. It's not like they're denying it's happening or saying it's something not to worry about. These people have suffered. You know, they've had their house burnt down. They've, they've been attacked. There, there is so much has happened in their life, but they don't let fear control it. And I think that's that's the thing here. People, people have two options. They can run away or they can stand up and just say, well, we're not going to give in to fear. We've been called to live here. We will live here and we will we'll not only live here and survive, but we'll thrive. We'll, we'll make a difference. So, uh, yep, we've pushed one container of medical equipment into the eastern part of Nigeria. Uh, we've sent uh, some food aid um, 
In time, the documentary will be released on our website, which anyone can just watch for free, but I can't show any more than that for now. Uh, we did a food drop. It goes on and talks about the IDP camps, which we visited last year. Now, you've got to imagine an area the size of, geographically the size of Victoria, where everybody in that rural area has been displaced. That's the size of the insurgency, geographically. Numbers-wise, it's well over 2 million. We've seen in excess of that killed. We have over a quarter of a million children under the age of three starving. Because basically people can't get back on the land and farm. It's been a brilliant farming season, but they just can't. So we encounter, and when I say we go to ID camps, they're not like you would see in the UN. These are internally displaced people, so there is no funding available. So these are people just living under mango trees, uh, on people's porches. They're just homeless state, well, homeless people. So there's a few aggregations of churches, what they've done, what they can. They sit there and sleep and do everything. They just live in the church. Uh, some of these people have been there for over a year now. Um, you sit there and you ask the people, what, what do you want? They just simply answer, to go home. So it, it's a challenge. You know, this is one section of a ministry where loading containers go into the the western part of Kenya, uh, amongst the Maasai people that have been also like Queensland and New South Wales in the throes of a major drought. Uh, containers into Swaziland, a container into uh, Zambia this year and also to where I've uh, opened up the doors in going into Liberia. Uh, this coming year we're loading at the moment a container with Liberia, uh, Liberia working with our, our partners, uh, building a hospital in this region. Uh, the nation of Liberia, about four and a half million people, is one hospital. Um, after the Ebola crisis, all the health and everything else just left the country. So we're building a hospital there, uh, quite a very big population. So essentially there at the moment, if you get anything that Panadol can't fix, you die. So we're loading a container of medical equipment and a bit of education and shoes and all that type of stuff. And that sets sail as soon as that's loaded. So we're just waiting for a break in the weather on the coast and then load it and ship it. So that's what we're doing as a ministry internally in Zambia, uh, community schools, working with centres for... Uh, we are sitting on a board for an uh, autism centre. It's the only one in our nation. It's the only one in the, the region of the... that region of the country or continent. Uh, so pioneering areas there uh, in, in that field as well. So... As a ministry, very busy. But you can be challenged. And, and as I spend time with some of these displaced people and the people who are working in these areas, and they're always encouraging me, come with us, come with us. You know, they want me to go into Mali with them. They want me to go into Niger with them. And they do outreaches up on the southern border of Libya, so to outreach into Libya that the people come across. Not exciting me. The work excites me. It's just the one week travelling in the desert it's not exciting me. Sticking out very conspicuously, not exciting me. Uh, even less so my wife. Um, but it's a challenge. And sitting with Dr. Ferdinand and one of the scriptures and passages that really dwells on his life, and he's a challenge to me all the time, uh, it's from the first book of Jonah. 
And we read in the first book, in the first verse of, the, of Jonah, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, Arise and go to Nineveh. Now, this is very topical, Jonah, at the particular point in time, even today. If you talk of Nineveh, well, you're talking Mosul. You're talking the plains of Syria. And they've just, you know, through the temple of Jonah. So it's alive very much today as it is back there in the times of, of Jonah. And Jonah's, the word of the Lord has come to him and it comes to each and every one of us. And Jonah just sits there and says, nah, not having a part of it. And he gets in and, and goes the other direction. See, the word comes to us and we all have a Nineveh. It may be the physical Nineveh. It may be your family. It may be your father, your mother, your, your, your children, your workmates. There may be something somewhere, someplace that's been put on your heart. God's encouraged you to go, but you just go, can't do it. And if you, you read throughout that passage, that first chapter, that first, that first, the first chapter of Jonah, we see how the people around Jonah physically get involved to help him not go to Nineveh. The people on the ship know they're about to be destroyed. And Jonah, even when he got on the boat, said, told them what he was doing. I am running away from God. But they physically throw all their livelihood overboard. All their resources, everything they have, they give everything up to help save Jonah. They physically get on the oars and try and row in the other direction. And that's the world around us. The world around us will be very willing to work with us not to do what God has called us to do. In verse 6, we read, So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God, and perhaps he will consider us that we may not perish. And for me, that's the challenge. 18 years in the mission field, I've got to do a mission strip every year. I can easily sit back and say, oh, we're doing this, we can do this, we can do this. But I've got to be listening to God and answer his call, what do I mean by sleeping? Arise afresh. Call upon God, for surely the word of the Lord has come to me to go and preach. See, in the world today, in, in any situation, I've learned to have impact. you first got to be significant. Sorry, you first got to be relative, and then you got to be significant. Now, to be relative, <laughs> look, 
I'm fairly in relative. I, I've done ministry in China and got arrested and detained and rescued by an angel. I stand out. I stood out in China. In Africa, I stand out. Now, you go to places where, you know, I'm one, the colour, two, the size. How can I be relevant? Well, in situations that you can't be relevant, you've got to be in relationship. Be in relationship with someone who is if you can't be irrelevant. You can't be relevant. I was there at an IDP camp and it was a church. It's probably physically about twice the size of this building. And uh, we had a Carrie Ann Greenbank. She's a reporter for Channel 9. She's helping us do the documentary and our next documentary. And there's exciting things in the wings there. And Jude, the lady who produces the documentary, she, they were doing interviews. So I was left in the hall with a, quite a few people, about 80 to 100 people. Uh, and these people had been in this place, and it's not far from town. I mean, like, it's 15 minutes from a city of a million people. It's on a highway. So I just began to ask them, you know, their stories. And we just started going along the front line and on the like, like to hear their stories. And everything in me, and this is probably the hardest day of ministry or in the mission field I've ever faced, And each story was more and more heart-wrenching. And I'm just sitting there thinking, Oh, Lord, let my phone ring. Lord, let let something calamity happen that we have to run away. Oh, Lord, I'm struggling. And I would look at my phone and go through all the notes and messages and there there was nothing. There was nothing that I could actually get up and say to them. That everything I felt like that I had ever prepared, seen, listened to, heard, taken notes, highlighted. Just sit there going, oh God, no, I couldn't. I can't belittle their situation. I can't stand up in front of them and say, be blessed in the name of Jesus. God's got it all in control. It's easy for me to say. Hard for them to live. Because that's their reality. So my heart's been ripped out and there's a guy and he comes and he, he stands alongside me. He's got a small child on his hip and I'm going through one by one by one just trying to give them all a turn, give them all a turn. And this guy is just standing there. He's, he's patient but he's, he's come out the front and I can see him in my peripheral. And finally we get a bit of a, a break and I, so I asked him to tell his story and his, his story wasn't any worse than anybody else's. But the gist of it is it was in his village he was the sole survivor and there was about 300 people from where he was from and he was it. And on the night that the attack happened they heard the gunfire in the village down the hill or down the slope. So they gathered quickly because they'd heard it happen about in other places. So they gathered quickly and they said, what we'll do is we'll wait. And we'll hide the the women and the children that can't run. We'll hide them in this house here. And then as they come, we'll, we'll wait till the very last moment so they can see us all. 
and then we'll run and then, and then they'll follow us and they'll leave these ones behind. The plan didn't work. And he shared that after they ran out of bullets, they just locked the house up and set it on fire. And that's... And I'm sitting there, God, I'm not going to promise something I can't keep. I'm not going to sit there and say, be blessed in the name of Jesus. But my heart's tearing, God. What is today about? He said, listen. Just listen. To be relevant that day, all I had to do was listen. For the first time, someone had cared enough to listen to their story. For them at that moment, what they needed was someone to listen. So to be relevant, it's not always about what you have. It's about where you are. And sometimes we can be very relevant in someone's life by not what we can say, but what we can listen to. And we can all listen. We can all close our mouth and listen and sometimes that's what people need the other area we find to have an impact is to be significant we've always made a habit of not saying what we're going to do until we actually do it we don't say we've got we're going to send food until the food is there we're not saying we're going to bring medicine until the medicine is there we're not saying we're bringing wheelchairs crutches and other medical equipment until it's there we go away, we back, we pack. And that's what we do. That's what our ministry does. That's how we look to be significant. Whether it's at home in our own street, organising where my wife organises outreaches amongst the local women and have the savings and loans, or opening and building, constructing houses for autistic children, or running community schools, or shipping medical equipment into various nations. That's, that's what our ministry looks like. But each and every one of us, the word of the Lord has come. For us, that's what it looks like. For you, it'll look like something different. As I just finish up, there's the, the, the most, one of the most famous scriptures we know, especially as born-agains. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You know, when you look at that scripture, God became relevant to us. His Son. The Word was with God and the Word became flesh and walked amongst us. We went from having rituals and sacrifices to having a God that came from heaven to earth to make a way. He became relevant to us. Then He became very significant. Not only did He give His life that we may have life in him, 
but he was bruised and battered. So we not only gain salvation through God's significance, we gain healing, we gain, we gain deliverance, and we gain salvation. To finish up today, I just appeal to you. If you don't know Jesus, he became relevant for you. And he made a very significant sacrifice. And through that sacrifice, he made a way for you to heaven. Through his, through the communion, through the act of communion, we celebrate that we have his healing, we have his forgiveness, we have his deliverance. So I encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus, come see a member of the, the church here and they can pray with you and they can begin your walk with him. Amen? Thank you very much. Amen. Thanks for that. Um, it's a challenge, I think, to all of us. And like I said at the start, when, when people are practitioners of something, they've got a right to talk about it. And um, this man and his family and what they're involved in, they're out there doing stuff that uh, in a lot of areas I didn't know. A lot of the stuff you just mentioned about those nations. I, I, I just know what you hear on the news and that's never the good stuff. Uh, and we just know what we read in books and so on. So uh, when's that film being released? Events at Rabina Town Centre. So if you jump on Gold Coast Film Festival, uh, you can see that. I think it would be really great if, if some of us took the trip up there to, to support that film launch and watch that film. Um, just while you were talking, I was just encouraged again in James chapter 1 where James says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And again, uh, with what you're saying about Jonah and, and all of us, that the word of the Lord comes to us and God speaks to us. And you know, maybe today God's spoken to you about something that Chris was talking about this morning. Let me encourage you to act on that. You know, maybe you had a thought, maybe you uh, might want to find out some more information. Um, I also believe in impartation as well. And, and uh, as I said, Chris, you're out there, you're doing some amazing stuff and involved in some stuff. And I'd love to just present the opportunity, if you're okay with that, if anybody would like prayer this morning, you come up, have a bit of a chat. Uh, to Chris, and uh, if you're comfortable with that, uh, I'd love to have have Chris uh, lay his hands on and, and, and pray for us. And um, be doers, be doers, 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 doers. One of one of my fears in life, and whether it's valid or not, I do believe it is, and I believe it's scriptural. That if we fail to do what God says to us, and God comes to us and He speaks to us, eventually we stop hearing. Eventually we stop hearing. Jesus said to the Pharisees, He said that you guys, uh, you have never heard the voice of my Father. And I believe it was because they'd already determined they weren't going to do it anyway. They were going to do their own stuff. So it's a real challenge to us this morning that when God speaks to us, that we respond to that and we act uh, on behalf of what God's saying. So uh, once again, Chris, thank you so much for that. And Father, we want to thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for uh, the ministry of To The Nations, God, that the, just that tiny, tiny snippet that we have just seen, God. That, uh, Father, there's some... Uh, God, there's stuff going on in the world that may surprise us. It doesn't surprise you. You know, you're, you're everywhere. You see, you understand. Uh, but God, it's great to see uh, your body at work. It's great to see the things that you are doing. 
And uh, Lord, we just want to pray right now. Father, I pray a blessing upon Chris and his wife, his family. Lord, we pray a blessing upon that ministry, a blessing upon everybody that's involved. God, we, we're not there physically uh, right now in that nation with them, God. But I do believe, uh, I do believe, Father, that when we pray that you act on our behalf. And Lord, I pray even for us that are here today, God, that... Uh, Lord, we can pray, and in one sense that's easy, but uh, Father, I'm sure that we could all uh, give and contribute in some way to what these guys are doing as well. And so, Lord, if that's, uh, Father, an option for us, God, not to to put heavies, but uh, God, I do believe that it's a great work that you're doing, and it's an opportunity, again, that you're presenting to us possibly to to be involved and to help out, Lord. So just bless them with what they're doing, God. And each person in this room, Father, I just pray that uh, you would continue, God, as we go from here. We don't just eat our lunch and move on with our day and move on with our week. But let the word of God, what you've spoken to us this morning, uh, water that seed inside of us, God. Bring it to maturity. And, uh, Lord, let us know what it is that you're saying to us, God, because I do believe that you're speaking to each of us in this place, Father. We thank you again, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, God bless, guys. We're going to uh, uh, head off from here. Um, feel free to hang around. There's more tea, coffee. There's more biscuits and stuff up the back. We've got that table up there too, so make sure you go have a bit of a look at the, at the table there. Uh, have a great week this week. We'll see you in Connect Groups or wherever we bump into you. Otherwise, we'll see you on Sunday back here same time. Bless you.